Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. I'm Sam Legasic. And I'm Dreadful Dan Gallagher. And we're two old buddies that have lived our life at the edge of the mainstream. So come join us where things are a little... odd. This is the... of yours will be reduced to a burned-out cinder. Welcome, everyone, to Oddcast with me, Dreadful Dan G, as always, with my co-host, Sam. Hi, Sam. Hello. Hello, Dan. How are you? Very well, thank you. And excitingly, today we have a special guest. He is the doyen of YouTube album reviews and Beach Boys czar and all-around good guy. It's Giggins. Hi, Giggins. Hello, guys. Very nice to meet you in in person. Yeah, because I've been following Giggins' YouTube account for probably about two years now or something, checking out all of his really cool like vinyl reviews um and basically like yeah there's a lot of beach boys on there <laughs> it's not exclusively yeah, right. beach boys is it but right that's your right. main thing i'd say it's my main thing it's what i'm known for primarily and when i talk about other bands people ask me about beach boy stuff on those videos so i'm like all right i'll do some more beach boys <laughs> <laughs> but i'm happy to do happy very happy to do and it's that um i think i saw you saying on your channel that actually just coming up over this summer there's going to be a real drive on some extra Beach Boys content. Yeah, for the rest of the summer, it's um, finishing up a lot of ones I haven't done yet. So I'm finishing up the rest of the 60s albums to review and a couple live ones and some other topic videos coming out. So well through August and maybe into September, it's all only Beach Boys content for a while now. Awesome. Feels good. Good medicine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all Beach Boys. <laughs> 
right. all the time. I'm down with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, obviously we've got Giggins on here because we are going to be talking about the Beach Boys and their album Smiley Smile. So why are we doing Smiley Smile on Oddcast? Why are we talking about one of the most successful mainstream bands of all time? Um, because I'd also say along with being successful, they're probably one of the most misunderstood bands of all time as well. Everyone thinks they know the Beach Boys because they know so many of those amazing hits from the 60s. But there's so much depth to this band and there's so much weird stuff in their catalogue as well. Um, And I would say Smiley Smile could be up there with the most surprising of their albums. What do you think, Giggins? 100%. I mean, that was the first album that I heard where I was like, wow, I had no idea this was the same band. It was, they go completely you know, off the wall bonkers. And you would have never thought that was the same group that sang California girls 18 months earlier. Wow. Yeah. 18 months. Amazing. Isn't that bizarre? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's like a, it's a wild, weird, wiggy kind of album. Um, And well, to make my point, here's a little bit of fall breaks and back to winter W woodpecker symphony. So yeah, I'm really interested because a lot of fans hear this for the first time and I just think it must blow people's minds. I know, like you said, Giggins, it's weird the first time you heard it. First time I heard it, I was like, this is not what I expected. So I'm really, really interested to know, Sam, (laughs) as a casual (laughs) kind of Beach Boys fan, would you even call yourself a fan? Not really. Casual absorber, casual sponge of the Beach Boys. I would say I am probably like 1% more knowledgeable than the average Joe on (laughs) the Beach Boys. Um, Okay, well, that's a good starting point. Yeah. To be hit, smile, smile. Yeah. How did it go for It was, I've never heard this album before. The only tracks I'd heard, which I know we'll kind of come on to, it's obviously Good Vibrations, but never, I don't think I've heard it like that before, but we'll kind of get into that, I guess. Um, And then uh, that um, weird one that you showed me before, Dan, I can't remember what it's called now. I've got it, I've I've missed it out on my, oh, Full Breaks? Is it that one? The one we just heard. Yes, the one we just heard. Um, And yeah, I'd heard that before. Nothing else I don't think I'd ever heard. And bear in mind, like my, I've heard Pet Sounds. Um, I wouldn't say like I've heard Pet Sounds. I've listened to it a lot. Um, I obviously know the general Beach Boys sound. Coming to this, I listened to it three times, basically, in the lead up. And it's quite, you know, it's only like whatever, 27, 28 minutes or something. So it's not like crazy long. Um, and the first time I listened to it, I hated it. Wow. Um, <laughs> The, uh, I was, uh, the second time I listened to it, I felt like, um, I enjoyed it more. And then the third time I felt like I could understand it a bit more. And also I saw a lot of like, so, you know, me and Dan talk about lo-fi and aerial pink and things like that. And you can hear that, like I'm hearing that more, if that makes sense. And there's like a lot of random artists, like one random, I was like, it sounds a bit like Safan Stevens. Um, if you know what I mean, there's little things where I'm like, oh yeah, I can kind of see, I feel like it's kind of weirdly filling or has filled, um, like a a gap, it's like a kind of weird 
link or something. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? To like totally. music I've listened to in the past without even actually realizing it. And what is really weird actually is that it's put the Beach Boys in a different context. Um, and it's made me think about, so hearing good vibrations and the mix of that has made me kind of reanalyze how I think of Beach Boys, if that makes sense as well. Awesome. Um, that to me is probably more important than liking it. It's that it makes you really <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause it is that, you know, for me, and I'm guessing for a lot of, you know, the general public out there, you think exactly California girls, surferish. I'm not a fan of like the harmonies, for instance, really, to be honest, that kind of, sound but when it's used in something like this at first i was like i still had that in my head if that makes sense like i don't really like these harmonies and they're everywhere and whatever and it's got this weird like low production thing and um but then yeah coming back to it a bit more um i found it actually i I found it intriguing and it kind of sucked me in a little bit more and then by doing that it kind of made me think about those other songs differently um, so it's a strange experience. I mean, this all took place over the course of about like a day and a half. So <laughs> it's quite um, magical, I guess, in that sense. Um, but yeah. Nice. You went on a little bit of an odyssey with a smiley smile. That's cool. I like that. Oh. That's where it takes yeah. you. Yeah, exactly. That's the point. <laughs> so Gigan, so what are your kind of like top line impressions? Or what did you first think when you heard this? Or when did you hear it? I first heard it when I was 17, so I was in high school, and I was reading Brian's sort of fake autobiography at the time, uh, Wouldn't It Be Nice? And at that time, I was I was a Beach Boys fan, but I hadn't dove, dived, divin, jumped into them super deeply yet. Uh, <laughs> English is my first language. And in discovering that album, I went out to, we have a store out here called FYE, I don't know if they're around the world or not, but it's um, a CD store. And I found a twofer pack of Smiley Smile with Wild Honey, the CD, uh, two CD yeah. album, two albums on one CD. And playing that album for the first time, it was exactly what I wanted to get into at that time because I was really getting into psychedelic music at that point and discovering way more about the 60s that I didn't know. And I loved the Beach Boys already. So hearing them do really stripped back music sometimes only two or three instruments on a song and mostly relying on group vocals for 90 percent of the album as your basis of the song's creation it was fantastic because all i ever knew was the big produced uh exquisite vocals tight harmonies the big lush production and to hear them with like someone like blowing into a jug and someone banging on a piano and them (laughs) screaming about someone's hair falling out of their head I was like, this is exactly what I want because it shows that they weren't so serious. And I love when bands don't take themselves so seriously. Maybe that wasn't the point at the time, but, you know, this was 2004 or something. So for me, it was like, this is great. But yeah, um, yeah it's an album for me that's it's grown over the years. And I've, I've always learned to appreciate it more and more with each listen. But um, yeah, first impressions, I was certainly blown away by how far out they can sound. And I played it for everyone I knew after that. I was like, you, you like the Beach Boys? You got to hear this. And to this day, it's my go-to weird album for people. Because it's still slightly accessible, but it's definitely bizarre. Totally, yeah. And like, I always put full breaks and back to winter, like on mixtapes and things. Like, especially if I need a song that's kind of like, the 60s are over and we're now moving into this like... <laughs> 
weird a period, you know. Um, it's funny you got into that 2004 because that's almost exactly the same story uh, that I've got. Oh, no way. Um, yeah, because I, I didn't really... I, I came to the Beach Boys quite late in life, probably when I was like about 18 or so, heard Pet Sounds for the first time. Um, and obviously, you know, like at that point, knew all the mainstream songs, but probably wasn't quite aware even that they were Beach Boys songs or anything. But right. I was living in France for a while in 2004 and I had that Brian Wilson, wouldn't it be nice, pseudo-biography. Um, <laughs> and so this why is, is it, time... Why is it a pseudo-biography? Sorry to interrupt. It's been um, basically rubbished. Okay, by who? So it was Brian written... At, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, essentially. It was written okay. in, I think, 1990, 92 maybe? 1991. Yeah, around there. I think it came out around that time. Okay. And this was when he was under the control of you know, Dr. Eugene Landy. Do you know about all no. this? No. Oh, man. I don't. I know nothing. Like, so... Cool. This, is a, this is a rabbit hole that could see us <laughs> spinning into... <laughs> this could be like an, an, a Brian Wilson odyssey. But basically, he was very sick at this point. Mm. And... Uh, he's essentially to most degrees being controlled by his doctor. Right. Um, and it's sort of generally accepted now that he didn't write that book, but he put his name on it. Okay. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of inaccuracies okay. in there and it's very, very anti certain people within the Beach Boys. Right. Weird. Okay. Um, very uh, exploitive. You know, it's just a very non Brian sounding book. It doesn't sound like he's his tone of voice. Right. Yeah. Has he released anything but, since? Has he released an actual or oh, yeah. nice. okay. He put out a real one a couple of years ago, which, you know, there's a whole chapter dedicated to a pizza he got in New York. And I was like, that's our Brian. That's that's <laughs> our man. That's him. <laughs> Brilliant. That's the guy. <laughs> oh man. But the nice. one thing it is, is it is sensationalist. And it hooked right. me as a casual reader and so you know I'm, I'm in france it's 2004 in a dormitory room no internet and all i've got is my brian wilson book um and, and some boring study books and <laughs> i'm reading about smile and i went basically i went to the fanac just like big department store and i bought the smiley smile wild honey twofer in a pack with pet sounds oh and um yeah, and, and around that time, oh, as well, I think <laughs> literally that week, so I'm reading about Smile, like this album that's been buried for 30 years, and I literally go in there, and it's there on the shelf. Brian Wilson presents <laughs> Smile. Um, so he, he, he re-recorded it and released it around this time, and most people have been like clamoring for decades, and I've literally read about it, and the very next day, I'm just like, oh, great, I'll probably get that. <laughs> <laughs> Meant to be. It was. Yeah. Um, so I think at this point, we're going to, you know, as this uh, show goes on, we're going to get into some details about how the album was recorded and we're going to go through song by song and have a chat about each track. But I think we need to just like set a little bit of background here. Um, again, we don't want to go down this rabbit hole of talking about Smile, but you kind of do have to talk about Smile a little bit to get to Smiley Smile. So... I'm just going to try and throw out some uh, bit of background. Giggins, please come and interrupt me if I get anything wrong or if I miss something out. <laughs> You're cool, man. No worries. 
<laughs> so, um, well, let's start with Pet Sounds, um, which is, you know, obviously recognised as the band's sort of towering achievement. It's regularly mentioned as one of the greatest albums of all time. Um, and during the sessions for this, you know, it was essentially Brian working with studio musicians while the Beach Boys were out on tour and they came back, added their voices. Um, but during these sessions, he worked on a very early version of Good Vibrations. Um, so knowing he was onto something, he kind of put that away, thought, I'll come on to that next. Pet Sounds came out, uh, huge uh, critical acclaim, uh, not so great in terms of uh, commercial response. Um, better, it did better in the UK, um, but it was a bit of a flop in the US. And I think generally was met with resistance by the executives at Capitol Records and by certain other members of the Beach Boys. <laughs> uh, um, but then the kind of next step for Brian was, yeah, let's work on Good Vibrations. And Good Vibrations as a song, I mean, you could kind of consider it like topically as an album because it's that important um, in their in their catalogue. Um, they're a whole box set dedicated to like outtakes from this one single song, right? Um, Insane. I don't know how many hours of music Brian recorded in putting this song together. It's like, I don't know if it's like dozens or hundreds of hours. Last I remember, it was like almost a hundred hours or something for a you know a three minute pop song. I mean, they spent Jesus. They spent like six weeks working on it, and it changed so much. And then he had to put it together from pieces, you know. And then he then the guys came up with their vocals on top. But I mean, you know, the guys had no idea what the finished result was going to sound like till they sang on it. And hold your breath, hope for the best, and thank <laughs> God it did well because it's a weird song, but. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. Just like, this is, you know, no Pro Tools, digital. It's literally splicing tape together. Yeah, cutting tape. To create the perfect. Razor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that might be, Sam, why you said you don't recognize this version. I don't know, maybe you've heard, you know, over the years, other um, takes, other versions have come out where, where it's like longer, but Brian kept working to get it down to that perfect, mm. perfect like three-minute pop version. But, you know, this was really, I think this was like the most expensive single ever recorded at that time in terms of, you know, like studio hours and like session musicians and everything. Yeah. Um, it's hugely ambitious. And it was also kind of the first, um, I think, uh, exploration for Brian into this like modular recording approach. So it wasn't just recorded in like one studio either, Sam. He was going, you know, for this part of the song, I need this sound, so I need to go to this studio right so he's working with all different musicians he's running around town going to all different <laughs> studios and basically just trying to get everything that's in his head i guess down on tape and kind of thinking i'll figure it out later how it all fits <laughs> together <laughs> jesus that's exactly it yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> i mean it does sound like a nightmare <laughs> for everyone for everyone involved including himself so that's getting said, you know, it's pretty high risk. I think he was, he was worried. They were all worried. They thought, is this too out there? Has it gone too experimental? Which to me, like when I first read that, I was like, like Good Vibrations is just a really mainstream pop song. Now it's on TV commercials and everything. And it's only like then when you come back and listen to it, you're like, God, yeah, actually there's so much going on mm. here that, that was pushing the envelope. But um, they were like, either this is going to, this is going to kill us completely or this is going to like make us, the biggest band in the world and it hit number one in the US and the UK 
you know, obviously the rest is history. Um, So that then kind of, you know, progressed into Brian working on his next album, um, which was Smile. Um, And with this, he continued to kind of employ this like modular recording process, Mm. um, which, you know, like you just said, it's it's a nightmare for one song. He's trying to do a whole album. (laughs) He's got, you know, like there are like musical motifs that are used on different songs. So it's almost like it becomes a jigsaw puzzle of like, this song could lead into that or it could lead over here or, or this part, should that part go in that song or in this song? Or it's, it's a musical jigsaw puzzle really. Yeah. No wonder he went insane. (laughs) (laughs) Completely. (laughs) Yeah. You got 15,000 bits and pieces lying around. You're like, well, there's no instruction sheet from Ikea here. So I'm on my own. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I'm just going to stop doing this now. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, 1967 as well, like even the progress from Pet Sounds to this more, well, it's kind of psychedelic, but it's also this like capturing kind of essence of Americana. Um, But Brian also spoke about, he wanted it to be like his humor record as well and uh, get some of that in there. Is that fair to say, Giggins? Completely. He wanted to make a, a journey from like Plymouth Rock up in Massachusetts and then work your way across the States to California uh, and all the journeys you go through along the way. So he talks about the train tracks being laid down, um, you know, meeting the Native Americans along the way. And the, the bike becomes an invention at one point. So travel and, and people and it's definitely a story. It's a very loose, ambiguous story, but um, it was meant to be sort of a trip that you go on and more than one way than you think i'm sure for the time but yeah yeah it was definitely supposed to be humorous and joyous and then of course you get the guys you know making farm sounds and goofing off and stuff so there was a lot of humor in his life at that point anyway we wrote a song about vegetables i mean you know come on like (laughs) (laughs) which he wanted to be the first single off the album if you can believe that i mean oh oh, oh my god (laughs) no bad 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 move right (laughs) But this is kind of the like uh, the tone of the era, 1967. Uh, well, late 66, moving into 67. So, you know, there's a lot of experimentation in uh, in the music scene and society in general. Um, there's a lot of psychedelic drugs being digested. Um, I don't want to overstate all of that, but certainly Brian, you know, at this time, yes, yeah. experimenting a lot. Let's say uh, LSD was coming into the picture. Um, what else is going on in 1967, Giggins? Because this is like a real, kind of to me, it's like a pivotal year, turning point where we go from, you know, kind of typical rock and roll based pop to more expansive psychedelia and experimentation. Yeah, I mean, basically after Revolver came out, and I guess Pet Sounds to some degree, but like, you know, the Beatles were definitely sort of the forefront of a lot of things that would change after whenever they put an album out or a song out, everyone follow after them. So, I mean... 66 and 7 were humongous turning points for a lot of bands, especially bands who wanted to keep up and remain relevant. So, you know, Broke Pop became a humongous thing where these big dramatic sweeping strings and syrupy kind of feelings to it that hadn't been around before. But pop construction of a song changed completely. I mean, if you look at Good Vibrations, it it begins with them singing. And it goes through, like, so many different changes. And then trying to keep up with a song like that it must have been a head scratcher for people listening to it being like, well, how do we top that? How do we do that song? Like for the Beatles, it was no problem. But for everybody else, it was like, oh my God, how are we going to do this? So 
for a lot of bands, you know, they just started singing about the psychedelic experience, whether or not they were actually taking drugs or not. You know, so mm-hmm. you get things like, um, I can't think off the top of my head, but I mean, a lot of songs came out around that time sounding psychedelic influence. And they'd even bring out older bands and older people to give them a psychedelic feel, like Muddy Waters did those electric albums for a couple of years there. And it just doesn't okay. feel like Muddy Waters. It feels like yeah. a bunch of kids saying, come on, Muddy, you can do it. It's like, I'm going to the blues, man. <laughs> um, but yeah, a lot of pop groups were like, you know, the hair was getting longer and, uh, you know, far out clothes and stuff. So they were kind of blending into the culture of the time too. But yeah, songs were getting deeper. Lyrics were getting deeper. They weren't just about the I love you, you love me kind of stuff. It was like, you know, is our life on Mars, if you will. But um, <laughs> yeah, it was a changing time and it continued to change. And some bands completely could not keep up. So a lot of groups that were humongous, even a couple of years earlier, had no chance of keeping up. So a lot of the big vocal groups, they were just kind of, you know, falling behind. And then hard rock came out around that time too. Like the who got big and Jimi Hendrix. I mean, mm. things were getting harder and edgier. And, yeah. you know, as, as we found out later with some of the beach boy stuff, like friends, you know, this really lighthearted, peaceful, beautiful album. It had no chance against fresh cream and are you experienced? And, you know, Tommy and all this, it just had no chance. That wasn't <laughs> what people wanted, but, yeah, I mean, for Brian, especially at that time, you know, his publicist was now Derek Taylor, who was the Beatles publicist. And Derek was really keen to work with Brian to promote this genius. That's where the genius term came from, that Brian's a genius. He can write anything. So he had that oomph behind him when he was doing Good Vibrations. And everyone just kind of sat around saying, all right, we'll give him some time. We'll see what happens. Pet Sounds, <laughs> critically did fantastic, but commercially hit like number 10 on America, which back then was like death. You were just done. <laughs> These days, that's like, oh my God, top 10. But um, yeah, so I mean, he definitely had that going for him. And then he had that going for him throughout the whole creation of Smile. And it's truly sad because I think he, I think Brian sort of had that pressure behind him to, to be the genius. And um, he just yeah. got burnt out. You know, but yeah, music was changing big time and you had to be ready to change with it. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about what happened there, because this all happened so quickly. Like you say, just at the beginning of the year, he's being touted as this big genius. There's so much hype and excitement for Good Vibrations, the album, essentially. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Capital are really pushing Smile. Smile's coming. Um. And the more it becomes delayed, the more excitement there is. And everyone's talking up within the band. This is going to be our best album ever. Um, it's a masterpiece. And then it's kind of like over the summer, I think, of 1967, things just start to crumble. Yeah. Um, so I can't remember kind of in my head the timeline here, but some of the big things that happen, I think, um, there's concern for Brian's mental health. Um, a lot of the examples that are given, I think, to me, it just sounds actually a bit like it, it's kind of his like weird sense of humor more than like <laughs> he's exhibiting signs of mental health trauma. Completely. You know, people are like, you know, the, the, there's a session for a song uh, called Fire or Mrs. O'Leary's Cow where he's like got the fire chief helmet and he makes all the musicians wear them and he sets a fire in a fire bucket in the studio. Yeah. And people are like, oh my God, he's going insane. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a um, lot of that was him just having fun and goofing around, but because yeah. um, he wanted to feel the vibes, if you will. 
He was also really <laughs> high, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, the worrying bit about that story though is in like, was it like a building across the road burned down? And he was like, I made that happen. Yeah, a so building, we, building we burned down, down the street, yeah. yeah. So we can't carry on with this song. <laughs> yeah, his, his, the God. bad vibes went out there. He was like, well, this song's right in the trash. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Um, I think one of the big problems was uh, the reaction to heroes and villains. So that was the song I think that he was most focused on. Um, I forgot to say as well, we should have mentioned um, Van Dyke Parks is yeah. his major lyrical collaborator. So he'd been working with different lyricists throughout his whole career. Um, Pet Sounds, brilliant, uh, brilliant um, lyrics, sorry. Um, Tony Asher. Tony Asher, but he's now, you know, he, he was good for that project, but I think Brian's like, now I want to move on to, basically he seemed very open to like whoever drifted into his life and could like yeah. say a few words basically. He'd be like, oh my God, that's the coolest thing I've ever <laughs> heard before. Should we work together? <laughs> Even from the early days with like Roger Christian and Gary Usher, like if someone came in and said, hey, I wrote about a car, he'd be like, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I mean, Van Dyke Parks, uh, you know, held in very high regard actually. And he was very young here, wasn't he? Like, like yeah. you see pictures of him, he looks about 12 years old. He was old. like 20 or something. Yeah, they, they met at a party and Brian just liked how he talked. Because he was definitely sort of like upper crust, if you will. But he'd been like an actor as a kid and all that. So he grew up in that Hollywood sort of mentality. So he sort of talked like a poet. And Brian was just like gobsmacked by that. And it was like, we should do something. And then, you know, they did. Yeah, so he's bringing this kind of like more poetic sensibility to the lyrics uh, that Brian really likes. But that certain members of the band aren't convinced about... Um, we won't go into it too too deeply. I think uh, <laughs> I think the, the the major example that's usually again trotted out. Uh, so Mike Love challenged Van Dyke Parks on the lyrics of uh, Cabin Essence. Over and over, the crow cries, "Uncover the cornfield." Yeah, what is um, that? <laughs> <laughs> um, basically, that kind of Van Dyke Parks got sick of these kind of like challenges to his work. Um, and so again, one of the things, the big milestones, I think, in, in Smile Crumbling is he kind of walks away. Yeah. And a lot of the kind of people who were supporting Smile, who weren't in the like immediate core unit of the band, they all start to kind of like peel away as well. Yeah. As it starts to appear, you know, things aren't right, it's kind of dragging on, it's not going anywhere. Um, poor Brian as well, I think. The press, they drop the kind of genius thing. And he starts to become the the eccentric. Right. Um, yeah, as I'm more of they weren't pushing for that. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it's weird. I feel like Brian sometimes is at odds with his like how he wants to be perceived. So he seemed to be quite happy to present all of that to people within the the industry and within the the press. So it must have been awful if you were his publicist. <laughs> Oh, completely. I mean, especially at that time, like that huge buildup throughout the end of 66. I mean, they were on top of the world. I, I think they won uh, the NME poll in England for best pop group over the Beatles. Yeah. Which is wow. insane. Um, so, I mean, they were on top of the world. So everyone was so stoked to see what was going to happen next. And back then, too, you know, especially with the Beach Boys, but every band was put out a single at least once every couple months. So you were always in the know and you weren't forgotten about, but there was a lot of time between good vibrations and then heroes and villains and then nothing after that. So it was a real shaky yeah. sort of town to be like, well, where are they? At least with the Beatles, they came back with Sgt. Pepper. 
you know, the Beach Boys never put out Smile. So it was like, where'd they go? But no, you're completely right. I mean, his whole team fell apart. And then once Van Dyke left, that was it. His, his only person he believed in that could work with him bailed because of the pressure, too. You know, and then Capital, the, you know, the whole thing. In the UK, they tried to plug that gap by uh, issuing And Then I Kissed Her as a single. That's right. And, uh, <laughs> That's right. Which is, which is a recording. I think it's a song from 1965, and it's like a, a cover of an old like girl band doo-wop kind of thing. And yeah. The British press just like shat all over it. Right. Like, they, we've they been hearing great Sur- things about this experimental too. music that's coming <laughs> and you can deliver us this. Huh. The, uh, well, the yeah. record buying public lapped it up then. <laughs> oh, it sold well. I mean, they put out the Surfer Girl album in I think February or March of 67 in England. Yes. Which yeah, is also right. a bizarre head scratcher. I guess it was to fill in the gaps just to have something out there, but it sold well. But yeah, man, it's an that, old album. <laughs> yeah. They use that break to like put out all these old albums. The release schedule for Beach Boys albums in the UK up to 67 is like all over the shop. Yeah, right. <laughs> wow. Um, so yeah, one of the other main things then, you know, again, and Brian's probably at this point, you know, he's struggling to put the album together. He's got this resistance from within the band. Um one of the big, again, like last turning points. Oh, Heroes and Villains didn't do as well as he expected. And I think he was pretty disappointed and distraught. Very about much so. That. Uh, and then you've got the whole Monterey Pop Festival debacle. What happened there? Oh, yeah. Um, so they were pretty instrumental early on, I think, in being part of the, the like board for planning this festival. Is that right? Yeah, it's completely right. Yeah, they were, you know, between them and the Mamas and the Papas and, um, what's his name, Scott McKenzie and a bunch of other people, they were going to organize like basically the first Woodstock, if you will. And all who, you know, if you were a musician, you had to be there. And it, it broke some people like Jimi Hendrix and the who became overnight sensations in America because of that concert. Right. And um, so if you weren't there, you missed out on music literally changing overnight. And the Beach yeah. Boys said, no, nah, we're good. <laughs> 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 yeah, it was awful oh, move that's one of those what if moments when you think about what if the beach boys played monterey like everything would have changed everything would have been so different completely why didn't they do it and they just didn't feel like it was going to be a thing you know hindsight being 2020 uh but yeah. it's um they just didn't think it would be a thing you know it's just another concert who cares you know all, all these unknown british people coming over we don't know who these guys are and then it was like the second wave of british invasion and that was this well i mean jimmy was american but he was more popular in england yeah. before he came back here but yeah overnight <laughs> wow and that was it that that's i think that's really when they fell from grace i think with the press yeah they just disappeared for a little while and, and for most people the beach boys in america anyway the beach boys stopped in 1966 with good vibrations and they came back in the 70s it's like they just yeah. disappeared for eight or ten years because no one wow. knows all those albums they put out. So when when we have these chats like this, when we when we find like-minded people who will like these albums, it's wonderful to know other people know about this stuff. And before the internet was a thing, it felt very lonely <laughs> listening yeah. to these records. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, after 66, after Good Vibrations, it's like that was their swan song. Because uh, p- people knew heroes and villains, but... If you ask them what their favorite song of Friends was or Wild Honey, Darlin' was a decent hit. But yeah, it was rough sailing on those Beach Boy Seas. <laughs> Surf's up. 
(laughs) (laughs) So basically Brian continues working on Smile um, into May. But the sessions become, I think, more and more fitful. Um, The last bit of work he does is a couple of sessions on the uh, song Love to Say Da Da. And basically at the end of May, he calls it a day and he announces Smile isn't going to happen. And you've got to think there was just so much hype out there. So many like, column inches has been devoted to talking about this album. Capital had already pressed up all the album sleeves. So yeah. this was like a big, big deal. And he just said, it's not going to happen. Um, and that was it. So that's at the end of, end of May. It's okay. it's rough too because it, as we'll talk about, I'm sure at some point with Brother Records starting in late '66, um, yeah, the Beach Boys had sued Capital and they wanted to get more royalties and have better control over their music. So to 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 do that to Capital and then have Capital sort of give like some money and interest and then have the project completely flop was like the first nail in the coffin for them over the next three years of not wanting to work with the Beach Boys at all and really yeah. not promote them the way they should have been promoted. So, I mean, that was like, yeah, it was a bad move for Smile not to happen for all parties involved at that point. Part of me thinks maybe Brian thought at that point that it's just not happening um, for whatever reason. And I think, you know, a lot of people uh, overstate, in my opinion, overstate the whole thing of like Mike Love being the bad guy and not supporting it. And that's the main reason it didn't happen. No. Um or they overstate, I think, as well, like the drugs. A lot mm-hmm. of me kind of thinks, actually, like he, he just couldn't get it done. And mm. yeah, I've seen some quotes from him, kind of it's like, sometimes you get too close to stuff in the, in the studio. And part of me thinks maybe he was going to put it on ice and still think, I'm going to return to that at some point. Um, yeah. Which is why over the years, he was always very protective about those songs and that material, about it kind of being repurposed for other albums. He hated that. He hated when those songs came out for, especially for 2020. Both you got both Cabin Essence and uh, Our Prayer. He was not for that at all. But it must be so sad. Like when when people have kind of like not supported you in your endeavor. um, Can you make us an album? Can you make us an album? But not that album. We don't (laughs) need to make that. Um, And then a few years later, come begging with your tail between your legs. You know that stuff we didn't like? Yeah, we kind of need it now. Because <laughs> our, uh, our sales are completely out of context. Yeah, let's just grab a couple of those tracks. Uh, no one will know the difference. Yeah. But I think um, that wrapping up of, of the Smile Sessions and uh, kind of, you know, admitting defeat, again, like in the popular kind of mindset, or certainly like about 10 years ago, people just thought that was the end of Brian Wilson and he went to bed for eight years or, like, or never did anything ever again. Right. When in fact, on the 3rd of June, recording of Smiley Smile begins. And it's very much still, in my opinion, it's, it's Brian's baby, it's Brian's vision. It's just that he's got a different idea for how he wants to record this album, how he wants it to sound. Yeah, 100%. And a lot of people think that both Smiley Smile and Wild Honey, because they were both done kind of concurrently, a lot of people think that not a lot of work was done, but a lot of work was done. I mean, they... They took their time. They did a serious go of it. It wasn't just some half-assed sort of thing. I think people get confused by like uh, that lo-fi sound. You know, Sam, you mentioned it. 
to me, it's like the granddaddy of that kind of sound. Mm. <laughs> I kind of think, again, another um, step in kind of determining that decision to abandon Smile was Brian wanted that sound. Like People forget how competitive he was as well. Like They like to think of him as like the, the genius artist. But actually, you know, he was really driven to be commercially successful. And he wanted the Beach Boys to be the best. And he wanted Brian Wilson to be the, the best producer. And he wanted that album out before the rest of the pack. And I think when the Beatles released Sgt. Pepper's, I think he kind of felt like the ship has sailed. I've missed my chance. And I don't want to put this album out. And people say the Beach Boys are kind of following the Beatles. So I think that's another part of the reason why he was like, I want to do this in a completely different way. This lo-fi, quick way, um, kind of harking back a little bit to the Party album, where it's like, let's just do this in the studio. We'll get that kind of like the chatter, all that ambient stuff. Very relaxed, laid back, kind of like you're hanging. You know, the Party album's like you're hanging at a party with the Beach Boys and acoustic guitar and a few beers. This is like you're hanging with the Beach Boys with some uh, psychedelic drugs, basically, <laughs> and like a, a pair of bongos. <laughs> um, and yeah, rather than all these like huge ornate arrangements, he becomes obsessed with this like Baldwin organ, which again yeah. is a really weird sound. It's very unique to this album. I'm sure it turns a lot of people off. You love that it. thing. What do you think of this, Sam? I liked it. Yeah, I know. I know what you're talking about because um, I, I made like notes, and I remember specifically going, "Yeah, I like this. I like this this organ sound." Um, but yeah, you think it, it would turn a lot of people off? Just because it's so unusual, and especially at that time, right. you know, you've got to think a lot of these people hearing Smiley Smile for the first time, they've heard pet sounds, mm. they've heard good vibrations, they're waiting for something like good vibrations, but even better. And they get this, and it's just totally, <laughs> uh, like Gigan said, it's incongruous with everything else that's going on in the music scene. It's bewildering. I, yeah. Mm. I mean, Carl Wilson said it best. It was a bunt instead of a grand slam. That's <laughs> yeah. one of the best sums up of that album I could think of. <laughs> nice. But conversely, so I don't know how people are going to feel about this. I prefer smiley smile to smile. Oh, wow. Um, well, what we uh, heard of smile. Why? Because obviously smile, <laughs> smile wasn't finished. <laughs> but we've got the smile sessions. Yeah. Um, so why? Because, yeah, just because of that strange mood and vibe it's got. Um, smile actually, like Pet Sounds is my favorite. Smile, I think it becomes a bit too... Um, kind of like a bit too psychedelic and a bit too, what's the word? There's some like novelty to it that I kind of put, turns me off a bit. Huh, interesting. Um, I love this like dry, weird sound that's going on with Smiley Smile and just like, yeah, the beginning of this like laid back period for the Beach Boys. I can dig mm. that for sure. I mean, it's such a unexpected sound from them and knowing how much work they put into all the the songs and the records they made up to that point for them to do a complete 180 and do this. What's funny enough though, is how you mentioned that they didn't want to follow Sergeant Pepper by putting out smile right after and have it sound like a, not a copycat, but of the same ilk, if you will, you yeah. know, you got to look at, 
a you know a year after Smiley Smile, they put out the White Album, and most of that stripped down rock and roll. And the Stones put out Baker's Banquet, which is stripped down rock and roll. So I mean, here the Beach Boys are at the forefront of something again, without really even knowing it. So you know, that's it. It was totally ahead of the curve. Um, and again, like the Beatles after that with the Get Back Project, which also yeah. became Let It Be, and the first McCartney album. Oh yeah. He, like this, like I said, this is the beginning of like, get out of those big controlled studio environments and just like, just jam, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, this album then came out finally, Smiley Smile, September 18th, 1967. In an amazing full color picture sleeve. I love the cover art for this album. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, what did you guys make of the artwork what do you think of the title i don't know <laughs> because it's, i have no i know i knew of smile um and i guess that's why i was confused when we were doing this album because i was like well, what the hell is smiley smile <laughs> it's just like a, a happier version of an album that they didn't release for like 50 years or whatever right. um yeah i don't know if i like it or not i guess it's i guess you guys would have more context of it in terms of the cover i like that it's like it reminds me because we talk about king gizzard a fair bit now um it reminds me of like a kind of king gizzard like psychedelic kind of like almost but it looks like it's almost like a children's book i guess um and it's quite yeah. chilled and relaxing but i've only seen because i listen to it on spotify sorry um so i've only seen the literally the cover so i haven't seen any other artwork but that seems quite nice it's very 60s um as well that kind of font um yeah, what do you guys think? Uh, me? Higgins? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah, no, I, I've always loved that cover. It, for me, it's like you walk up, you know, it's, I think it's based off a painting by Rousseau, and you, like, okay. travel through this forest to discover this magical little groovy house, and you hang out at the Smile House, and you, hey, listen to the music inside. I always got this, like, walking through the Hansel and Gretel lost in the forest vibe, but instead of getting eaten at the end, you get to sing whistle in. So I always thought that was pretty cool, (laughs) but yeah, I always thought it was, it was great because it wasn't them on a boat and it wasn't like a car. It wasn't a surfboard. It was like, what is this weird forest thing? And it's one of the first times they weren't on the album cover. I think the first time they ever were on the album cover. So it was weird to not see their picture. And typically at that time, bands sold better if their picture was on the cover. Cause so, Mm. That's the new Beatles album. I know what they look like. I'll buy that. Yeah. What the heck, smiley smile? So it's you know, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's, it's, it's like, a groovy little cover. Mm. Yeah, it's like they tried to do a psychedelic cover to fit in with the time, but just slightly got it wrong, and it comes off looking <laughs> more kind of like childish. Yeah, um, but that's what I love about it. It's like they tried to be cool, and again, this kind of sets the precedent for like the next ten years. Kind of trying to be cool and just slightly getting it wrong. <laughs> not, quite, not quite landing from like That's, an image and marketing perspective. That should be the name of their next book. <laughs> trying to be cool and just not quite getting it. The story of the Beach Boys. A 40-year yeah. journey. I thought you were going to say like the Beach Boys, a little bit wrong. Like, right. yeah, that, would make, that would make for an interesting read, wouldn't it? <laughs> the Beach Boys, how to screw things up royally again and again and again. <laughs> Yeah. Um, <laughs> smiley, a smile. The smiliest <laughs> smile. That's, just, that's it. 
the back cover as well it's got this really like new agey hippy dippy kind of thing where it's like a butterfly and some flowers and it says was it oh, i can't remember the quote now but it, um, it claims to be ancient indian wisdom yeah it's like the smile oh, you give returns to you or something like that yeah i'm sure it's that's been not a minute that it Probably Brian wrote it on the back of a beer mat. And, uh, <laughs> we put that on the. <laughs> Actually, I'd love to know who did this cover artwork. Over the years, I've always kind of like uh, tried to find out. I can't find an answer. I guess it was just someone at the record label. It was either someone at Capitol or one of their friends. I, I have no idea who did it. I can't figure out the name. I've looked for years. I've never been able to find out who. Oh, that's interesting. Maybe we should challenge the Beach Boys community. Someone's got to know the answer. It has to be out there somewhere. That person has to get credit for drawing that cover and then royalties for it being sold again and again. So, I mean, it has to be somewhere in the Capitol archives. Yeah, I'd love to know because, yeah, like I said, I think it's brilliant. Absolutely love it. Um, I know they repurposed the lips from the original Smile. Yeah. yeah that's a nice little nod. little nod. Um, why do you think they went with Smiley Smile? It just feels like a, a cheap... Just like a reminder that this isn't the smile that you thought you were getting. <laughs> That's exactly why they named it that. Because it wasn't, yeah. it was It was a, a bit cheeky. It was like, you know, you're getting something you thought you were going to get, but not really. So it's like close, but not quite kind of a mentality, if you will. Because they didn't want to call it anything else. They wanted to use that word smile just because of the hype. They had to throw it in somehow, but it wasn't actually the smile project you were getting. So it's like, you know if you bought a half to bake cookie or, you know, like a half a pizza or something, it was, it's kind of what you're getting here. <laughs> Damage control. Right. Right. <laughs> Smiles in the name. You bought it. You see it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you mentioned Giggins. They set up uh, brother records around this time. And this is the first release on their own label. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the deal with brother? Yeah, they wanted to start their own. I mean, this was the beginning of the end for them with Capital. This was 1966. And basically, with Brian on the rise of being this genius, if you will, the Beach Boys felt like they had some weight to be like, well, let's give Brian some more time. He spent a lot of time on today. They made him do Summer Days and Summer Nights as a reaction to today. He spent a long time on Pet Sounds. And Capital was really nervous because they were putting a lot of money into a pop group. And that was like not the thing yet at that point in time. And even Mike was a big supporter of the project of getting their own label off the ground so they can do their own work and own their music and the whole nine yards. Something completely common these days, but unheard of back then. Everyone's got their own label these days. I mean, look at King Gizzard. I mean, they put out $100 <laughs> a year. They can't do that on Capital Records. Like, this is what happened. <laughs> and... Capital was like, mm, about it. And they also owed them some royalties, which they would fight for years and years and years to come. So they started Brother Records and they had their friend David Anderley was going to be like the guy supporting it. And then eventually he dropped out because the whole project was just becoming messy. But yeah, so they wanted to put out Smiley Smile through that project. And to back it up a little bit, they didn't want to work with Capital. They wanted mm. to find a distributor through any other label possible. And they couldn't. Oh, really? So Capital's thing was, all right, well, we'll even you out. If we help out with distribution, we can kind of call it even. And they're like, okay, cool. So that's why Capital distributed the album through uh, through Brother. But because of that, Capital was not on good terms with them because no 
label wants to get sued by their own band or in hot water with their own band, especially when that makes a lot of money for them. But that was the first nail in the coffin of them not wanting to promote the Beach Boys and for the next several years still calling them America's number one surf group, which at that was ridiculous. They hadn't put out a surf song in years at that point. So yeah, yeah it came out in Brother and had like very limited uh you know marketable what's the word I'm looking for? It didn't get pushed really well. There wasn't a good mm. promotional push. And I really think if it just came out in Capital, which it did eventually have the Capital label, but the very first ones just have the Brother Records label. It's like sort of tan with green. Looks really cool. But yeah, that was it. And you know they they still have Brother Records. It, it, you know every album after that was in some sort of imprint of Brother. But yeah, it didn't see it didn't show just the Brother Records label for a handful of years after that. So that was their idea. They wanted to just run their own show, and Capital was like, Nah, man, not gonna happen. <laughs> There's just so many moving parts, 1967 for the band. And almost all of these things are like them shooting themselves in the foot. And that's their story. I mean, like their their business acumen has been crap for 50 years. I mean, thank <laughs> God Irving Azoff came along earlier this year to buy out their brand name because we're finally getting some decent promotion for the Beach Boys. I just saw a commercial for Apple TV using Wouldn't It Be Nice. You know, there's T-shirts being right. sold at Target now. You know, the promotional stuff for the upcoming 60s anniversary tour is going to be done well. So they finally have good promotion behind them now. And it only took them 60 odd years. I mean, but <laughs> hey, at least they're doing it now. So they're, you know, future generations can really enjoy the Beach Boys app where you can download the VR thing and be inside the studio, which is the thing coming out, by the way. Um, oh, wow. oh, man. Yeah. So, but at that time, it was unheard of. It would be like if the Beatles came up and said, we're going to start our own company. <laughs> of course you are. You know, no one <laughs> did that. So, well, they did eventually, but yeah. No, wow. oh, they, they beat Apple to the punch. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did, yeah. This is it. Constant innovators, but just always one step, just too ahead of the curve. And that's the thing. It's always the creative people who are way ahead of the the suits and the offices. That's the way yeah. for everything. But yeah. Poor Beach Boys. Um, so kind of that is now that brings us to what the hell's actually on this thing. So um, <laughs> are you ready to let's have a listen to a little bit of Heroes and Villains and then we're going to come back and we're going to go through song by song. I've been in this town so long and back in the city I've been taken for lost So that was Heroes and Villains. Um, Sam, do you want to kind of give us your impressions of this song? Yeah, um, I guess for me, so I hadn't actually heard this song before. I don't think so anyway. Um, okay, so I was in, I was interested in the fact that you said it's released as a single because um, I didn't know that. Um, yeah, again, it's that kind of, the harmonies feel like really on point, that kind of sound. I mean, it's quite interesting. Like as I was listening to it, I was like, is it like where does that come from, really? Is it like the kind of like doo-wop 
kind of like sounds like with that kind of that very specific Beach Boys harmony kind of thing. Because sometimes, like, so basically, so, sometimes, and I think there's a little bit of it in this, um, in the in beginning of the song, I'm like, sometimes, is it just like a barbershop quartet kind of thing? <laughs> like, which makes me cringe a little bit rather than have a smiley smile on my face. Um, but yeah, I'm just interested. I know, like, we've, I, we're about to go off on uh, a little tangent here, but where does that sound? why that harmony why that kind of beach boys vocal sound where does that actually come from Higgins? all right uh well they were big fans of a group called the four freshmen and they were a vocal group that started i think in the 40s actually but when when brian was growing up in the 50s they had a four-part harmony and he loved how they created this magical sound with just their voices and it, I guess it would be slightly inspired by maybe a barbershop quartet kind of thing. But so, yeah, they combined, you know, Chuck Berry rock and roll with that four freshman harmony and invented that sound. And it got better and better over the years. But then Brian was able to figure out five part harmony. So you got all these different layers. Um, but yeah, that's definitely their signature sort of thing. But it's cool mm. with Smile because you get this wacky version of it, which is like slightly like scary in parts or weird or strange. Yeah. Yeah, I, I generally, when I listened back to it, um, as I said, like generally throughout the whole album, um, I did enjoy it more uh, with each listen. Um, but that little like bum bum, <laughs> bum bum bit, I was like, oh, I don't know if I can get my, my head around that. Um, but yeah, that's those are my feelings on it anyway. It's funny you mentioned um, earlier, like some of these bands like being brought back in the psychedelic era. Because I've got a four freshman album from like 68, 69 on Liberty. Oh. And it's them like, their hair is about an inch longer. And they're doing <laughs> like versions of Beatles songs. <laughs> they have sideburns now. Yeah. Yeah. They actually do. Oh, and right. some like snazzy knitwear. Right. right. Big <laughs> ascots. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Giggins, what do you think about Heroes and Villains? Heroes and Villains is a song that it takes me back to being a kid. And I had a CD at the time called Made in USA. It was the greatest hits Beach Boys uh, yeah. album. And Heroes and Villains was on there and it followed like Be True to Your School or something. So for me, it was always like a jarring experience to hear this strange track. And every time I talk about this song, I always have to mention that first mouthful. I've been in this town so long that back in the city, I've been taken for lost and gone. I don't know for a long, long time. What a sentence. I yeah. mean... <laughs> Who starts a song like that? And instantly it's not going to be radio friendly because who starts a song like that? So, yeah, the idea is there. The execution is there. But in terms of a pop song, it's going to make it. It's not going to be a number one smash. It'll be in the top 20 somewhere because it's the Beach Boys and it sounds cool. And it's the times. But, yeah, this one for me is like just another walk off the deep end version of Good Vibrations where Good Vibrations had that cheery, chill, uplifting feeling to it. Heroes and Villains goes to some eerie places. And yeah. when you're cranking the radio up and if you got the association singing Windy beforehand and then you got Mamas and the Papas with, you know, Go to My Window and then you got Heroes and Villains, you're like, what the hell is this? Like, <laughs> it wasn't going to make it. <laughs> it just wasn't going to happen. So for me, I really love that song, but it's also one of those things where I always joke about them putting out a five CD box set of just Heroes and Villains outtakes because that's what we always get like nine billion takes of heroes and villains you know them farting into the microphone here it's just yeah. too much <laughs> so love the song a little burnt out on it but still love it right. what about you interesting 
Yeah, I feel kind of the same. Um, it's to me, it's quite emblematic actually of the whole Smile project. Um, like you say, it doesn't quite to me it doesn't quite have the emotional punch of Good Vibrations. It's like he's taken some of the ideas and like this idea of like the arrangements and everything, but it doesn't quite resonate with me. Um, and I do like some of the longer versions. I think this version that he finally assembled for this for the album and for the single. Um, it emits some of the best parts of the song. Yeah, I agree. Um, You're under arrest. Some of those, <laughs> exactly. <yeah. laughs> There's loads of great parts in this, and like bicycle rider chants and all of this. And obviously, he was thinking, "Oh, actually, I'm going to not use them here. I'll use them in another song." And right. Um, yeah, there's a good story around this one, Sam, um, where he basically he had the you know back in the day when you mix down a track, you, mm-hmm. you actually put it on an acetate disc. So you like, I got the mix and apparently he kind of like waited with that and he consulted with his like, uh, astrologer or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> When's the best time? He was really, yeah, getting some like, this is 1967, getting some uh, new age ideas. And he's like, when's the best time to present this song to the world? And it's like, I can't remember. It's like midnight on like a Wednesday night or something stupid like this. <laughs> so he literally gets in his car and like drives to the like, radio station. And they're like, it's me, Brian Wilson, the Beach Boys. I've got the new Brian, uh, Beach Boys song that everyone's been waiting for. And the guy's like, I can't play it. It's not playlisted. <laughs> <laughs> I love that story. Really? Oh, man. So yeah. then apparently, you know, like phone calls are made and, and they got hold of like the station control or whatever. And it gets played. But like that initial... Like, uh, rejection, apparently, it was, like, really big deal for Brian. It really right. upset him. And then when it only reached, like, do you know what number it reached in the States? Like, number this, 11 or something? I think it was in the top 20. It was definitely top 20. I think 10 or 11 sounds right. Wasn't the, the instant okay. smash that they were used to. Yeah. It got to number eight in the UK. But, oh. um, yeah, until I, until I got into the band, I'd never heard it. It's not yeah. one that's been, it's not had a long lifespan in the... Uh, UK national consciousness. <laughs> Same over here. Most greatest hits albums don't have it. It's it's these days it's you see it more than you did throughout the last 30 years, I'd say. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. 
Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Um, let's move on to the next song. And should we hear a little bit of it? Yeah. It's yes. vegetables. I'm gonna be around my vegetables. I'm gonna chow down my vegetables. I love you most of all. My favorite vegetable. Sam, have you eaten your vegetables? I have. <laughs> What's um, your favourite vegetable? Um, you know what? I think it's actually broccoli. Ooh. How do you feel about Good that? Good choice. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, quite, quite a broccoli fan. Don't know if I'd sing a song about it, though. I think, um, <laughs> <laughs> I think, but would um, you listen to a song about it? <laughs> well, yeah, well, I have done. Um, it was, I mean, this song's just plain weird. Let's be, let's, let's be honest. Um, it's uh, I wasn't expecting it. Let's be honest. This man loves his uh, veg. Um, put it that way. Um, I liked, though I did like how it felt really stripped down. And I know we just had kind of had that a little bit with Heroes and Villains anyway. But like, like when I was listening to this, I was like, okay, so now it's kind of set the tone more. It's like, okay, I kind of know um, what is going to happen, if you know what I mean, for the rest of this album yeah. almost. Um, yeah, yeah, all the strange noises and all this stuff. Yeah, I don't think I would listen to it again out of choice. Um, put it that way. <laughs> oh, that breaks my heart. I love this song. I love how like childlike and just just joyous it is. Um, it really feels just like silly and fun, but it's got such a great to me like great melodic hook. Um, yeah, and I love the lyrics. They make me laugh. I'm right there with you on that one. It was it was one of those first things I heard where I knew heroes and villains, and then you know you get this thumping bass line. I'm gonna be around my vegetables. I was like, whoa, where am I going? Yeah, <laughs> it's just a fun, how, goofy little song. How do you think it compares to the uh, like smile vegetables, which was a far more kind of arranged version? I don't know. I mean, that's the one that's got Paul McCartney chomping celery in the background so yeah there's a that it's got that on it you know the the first beach boys beatles collaboration but <laughs> yeah i don't know I, I i like the charm of both of them i like the lo-fi feel we keep using that term but i like that feel of vegetables where it's just um it was really homespun you know lack of echo very raw in a closet sounding song but I like where they go. They just get weird. Like, do, 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 do. like, it's just them using the Beach Boys formula, but going LSD with it. And it's, yeah. it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> I like how, like, when I heard the Smile kind of version, I liked how more, like, colorful it was. But then yeah. I think over the years, I've come back to this being my preferred one. I love that, like, the jug 
on this one. <laughs> yeah. Just how completely stripped back it is in terms of instrumentation. <laughs> um, the reason, Sam, why you kind of thought maybe this one sets the tone a bit more for the album, we should have mentioned like Heroes and Villains was still recorded as part of Smile. Mm. Um, so that had been released as a single. Basically, Good Vibrations and Heroes and Villains at the point this album came out are kind of like you know in, in terms of like 1967 release schedules they're kind of old songs right. okay. from a from a different kind of project if, if vegetables it yeah this is the first song where it's it's under the new the new vision and direction for smiley smile um i don't think we didn't even mention like this is all recorded at brian's home right yeah yeah okay so in that short period between Smile Abandoned and like just getting on with this, they like, yeah, they, they get to grips with like a whole home recording system. And some of the vocals, you've got like stories about like uh, Brian had a crack in his pool. So he just like put all the boys in the swimming pool and a mic and had them singing in there. And there's people doing vocals in the shower. Lying on their backs on the living room floor. Yeah. Well, why not? I guess. <laughs> oh yeah, why not, man? <laughs> so next up we've got we heard it earlier, but let's hear a little bit again. Full breaks and back to winter. W Woodpecker Symphony. Uh, so this song basically recycled out of the earlier Smile track, uh, Mrs. O'Leary's Cow, a.k.a. Fire. Um, Giggins, what do you make of this one? This song for me instantly takes me back to when I first heard it. And it was a cold like winter day. It was just bleak looking outside. The, the, the mood fit perfect for the song. And it was just a very... It's a very eerie sounding track, but there's also like a tiny bit of optimism that pops up here and there where the Woody Woodpecker song, uh, the feel comes out through yeah. him sort of singing, if you will. But then he also realizes that it still sucks outside. So it's this uh, <laughs> bizarre back and forth of moods, but I like it. It's just such a weird song. And that's the best way I can describe it. It's just weird. And it's one of those things where you hear it and you're un- slightly uncomfortable because of it, but it sticks in your head. Mm-hmm. So. It is something, right? Yeah. Sam, what did you think? Yes, well, you know, regular listeners will be able to have heard my initial reaction, my live reaction when you played it. We have a (laughs) um, hit and a shit, basically, uh, kind of running format where we each play like a hit and a shit, which is, you know, um, (laughs) clues clues in the name. Um, And Dan played it and I thought it was one of his shits. But he was like, I love this song. It's actually a hit. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, what is this? I so, love that. Yeah, so now coming to it with a bit more uh, context instead of like a, a cold listen, um, it's, uh, yeah, I because I'd heard it before, um, I knew what I was in for, but I did like it more. It reminded me, this is going to sound weird. I mean, I guess this is part of it, right? Like it kind of takes you on a trip, but it's in, it kind of sounded, it kind of made me feel like, uh, like the old kind of like like Snow White, like the old kind of Disney films, and maybe it's because of the forest and all this stuff where it's like there's all these kind of weird noises kind of going, like texture or whatever, so you feel like wandering around through this like magical world or something like that. And then it's like, yeah, those kind of harmonies, as you were saying, there's, there's an element of like 
it's a bit weird and danger and like, ooh, ooh, or whatever and all this stuff. But then it has these nice, like, you know, and then it, the way it changes to these like nice harmony, like, you know, ah, kind of like opens out um, and then goes back in, uh, makes me, takes me on like a weird kind of mental trip in some really huh. weird way where I'm going from like slightly uncomfortable what's kind of happening to like, oh, this is quite nice. And then I'm back into like that bit again. It's, it's really um, surreal because obviously the first time I heard it, I was just like, I don't know what the fuck is going on <laughs> with this thing. What the hell is he playing me? What do you mean it's the Beach Boys? <laughs> like, <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? Um, yeah. So that was my kind of re- reaction to it. Yeah. That's funny. I've never thought about it in that way. But now you say it, I can imagine it in like a 1930s Disney cartoon. Mm. Yeah. Like uh, Sleepy Hollow or something. Like going through the trees and they're all coming to life and go, whoa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I just think there's no other song like this anywhere, ever. Um, and it's very different to the smile version to the fire track because um, like that's very big and dramatic and. Uh, these like towering, booming drums, and this is just like, I mean, that does have a kind of like dark, evil almost sound to it. This is like super creepy, I think. Really eerie, creepy, weird. Yeah, I'm just kind of, I've been obsessed with it. And I don't think it gets enough loved, uh, love. I've never seen people kind of like really talk about it. Um, yeah, good point. Yeah. Let's get more full breaks, fans, please. Uh, anyway, up next. <laughs> Let's have a little bit of She's Going Bald. Silken hair, more silken hair fell on her face and no wind was blowing. Silken hair, more silken hair lay near her pillbox down at first. She'd been on a trip. I and I saw she'd lost her hair. I she was going when she saw her shining forehead didn't stop she swooned to the really flipped her way so hard i blew my mind i blew my cool i blew myself over oh 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 She's going bald. <laughs> Sam's laughing. It was a funny song, wasn't it? Did you enjoy that? Having a little chuckle. Just, I can tell he loved this one. Oh god, it's just so fucking weird. It's because <laughs> it's just so many levels. It's just um, yeah, like yeah, just the way, just the way you're saying it as well. But it's true. Like, what is? What's okay? What's the story? What's the story? <laughs> What's the story behind this this song? I mean, like, it's weird how it's got the the bongos. I think is kind of like when I was listening to it, I was like, ugh, like bongos, like fucking hell. But I suppose it made it would make more sense. It's better like passe now than it may have been um, back then. Um, and then yeah, the fact it does that kind of you know the chipmunk kind of like turn up the pitch and whatever and all this stuff was just weird. I quite liked. It's got that little spoken word bit as well which reminded me slightly of, again, Aerial Pink. We always talk about Aerial Pink, but like that, 
but also like a little bit Devo-ish as well. Mm. And maybe that's because, you know, again, I'm, I feel like weird voices. Like Devo. Yeah, exactly. And all that. Um, I didn't hate it. I was just like, this is really strange. And it is such a weird thing to speak about, uh, sing about lyrically. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, the fact that this poor woman going bald or whatever, um, if, you know, if that's what it even, or if it's a metaphor for something else, I don't know. But um, yeah, please tell me about it. I love it. That level of bewilderment, that to me is probably what people felt in 1967. <laughs> so you've yeah. just like, you've captured that perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I bet. Is this a favorite of yours, Giggins? I, I love this song. It, it originated as a song called He Gives Speeches off the Smile album. And there's there's two sides to what the story could be about. On one hand, you could shallowly see it as a girl's losing her hair. Mike gave an interview in the early 70s where he said, and I'm going to paraphrase this for our younger mm-hmm. audience, nether region mouth-pleasing, if you will. And that's what it, the song <laughs> might, might be about, really, yeah. Um, so I don't well, know no how... Way. I never heard that before. Uh, yeah, I guess like <laughs> the, the chipmunk voices as they're going up and up could be uh, okay. like, like an orgasm, if you will. So that's kind wow. of where some people see it, and then you get that chill sort of ending at the end. But, uh, that's interesting. <laughs> so on one hand, it's that. On the other hand, it's about a girl's losing her hair. So, right. But I love it. It's such a. It's one of those songs where I think someone's the drums are someone slapping their knees with their hands. Okay. It's a very bare bones song. They rely heavily on vocal tricks. And most of this yeah. album is like that, but just a goofy mm. little song. And the fact that they got Mike to sing the lead just blows my mind. Like a, a guy who was always <laughs> like the formula man to sing, you know, this, this goofy little track. It's, um, it's one of my favorite moments in their entire discography. Wow. Yeah. Nice. And stuff like that, that people gloss over when they talk about like, you know, Mike, you know, dragging down projects and things. Like he said in his autobiography, we can now listen to the smile sessions. His voice is all over it. Oh yeah, um, they showed up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He was willing to, you know. He obviously he always questioned things, and he was like the commercial mind. But at the end of the day, he contributed. Hundred percent. Um, let's move on to the luscious little pad. If I only had a little in your take uh i quite like this one i liked how it's very chill and relaxing and this is kind of 
you know, hitting on the lo-fi um, production thing like on the nose, I guess. Um, I'm I'm never a fan of a ukulele. I'm going to be uh, brutally honest there. <laughs> um, I think as well, like seeing so many uh, YouTube videos with a ukulele in the background, um, especially like beauty makeup videos or whatever that I've had to watch for work in, in numerous occasions. Like every time I hear a ukulele, I'm just like, oh God. Um, <laughs> but I like it. I like how it's like, you know, there's, you've got the kind of them laughing and joking around and it feels like quite fun. Um, so yeah, I, I generally quite like this song. Nice. Mm. Nice. Giggins? Yeah, I'm the same. I'm the same. I love this mm. song too. And I love the humming that they do. It just, it gives that sort of Hawaiian-esque feel of, uh, a breeze to me it sounds like a breeze going through the the palm trees if you will it's uh just a very light-hearted catchy little song you know nothing crazy to write home about just a, a good little moment after yeah, the craziness that was losing your hair yeah <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah it does work quite nicely as a little kind of like okay let's just chill again now right and um, i really like it for that reason again like there's, there's nothing maybe all that much to write home about but it just hits for me got that mood and that vibe i like as well how it constantly interrupts its own flow oh this, like, we're gonna do this part yeah now let's do this part and now we're going to have some strumming yeah and now some humming and <laughs> mm. um apparently they recorded a song called hawaiian song during this session and i think it didn't kind of morph into this as much as they just took a snippet of it and used it in the song it'd be cool to hear the whole hawaiian song i don't think that's on sunshine tomorrow. No, I don't think it's. I don't think it's officially ever been released. That'd be a nice one to uh, someday leak yeah. out one day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So with that, uh, we finish side one. Unless you're on Spotify, in which case we're going straight into <laughs> good vibrations. <laughs> <laughs> And the way the sunlight plays upon her head I hear the sound of a On the wind that lifts her perfume through the air I'm picking up her vibrations She's giving me the Okay, so this, my friends, is the zenith of 20th century pop architecture um we all know it we all love it we all respect it it's good vibrations um giggins anything more to say that beyond what we uh spoke about earlier i really think it was added to give the album commercial appeal i mean you know the original version of the song was going to be on smile but i I really think they threw this on one to give it a home because it was just a single before that so it's good to have it on a record but yeah, I really think it was added on to be like, oh, thank God, no one song on this thing. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to the record buying public of '67. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, what can be said? It's the, one of the best things they ever did. You know? Yeah, mind blowing. Sam, what mm-hmm. did you think of this? You said you didn't recognize this version. I think it's like I was, I was when I listened back to it. I think I've only really listened to it in the background of something. I've never sat down and listened to it. So like. There's that kind of like, I guess if you want to call it like a middle eight or whatever, that I was like, oh yeah, what's this bit? Like, I don't remember this bit. Um, but yeah, like, as you guys have said, like, you know, this is a quintessential Beach Boys song. Um, I guess hearing it in the context of this album, it does 
it did stand out to me. Um, it's in not just it's a great song, but it's in it like just sounds like it shouldn't be there, which is now makes sense because yeah. um, <laughs> what you said. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like the fact that there's like it's like there's a hint of sadness to the song. I mean, as Dan knows, like I'm always a sucker for like any kind of melancholia, basically, um, which this does have in in spades. Um, yeah, and yeah, I was kind of listening to it. Uh, I was interested in the noise noises around it. And I think my ears had been more attuned to it from the songs leading up to listening to it. So it's like this weird, like, for instance, like a delayed vibrato, like palm strumming or something that's kind of going on in the background, for instance, that I hadn't really paid attention to before. And there's things like that where I was like, Oh yeah, I didn't even, I didn't even really notice that. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I like it. I mean, what can you say about it? It's, you know, it's a, it's a good song. I think um, that's part of its appeal is that you can listen to it for 40 years and just enjoy it for what it is, which is a great upbeat pop song. And yeah. then when you actually really listen to it, and that's why I was shocked when I always heard all this stuff like, oh my God, it's so experimental and it could be the end of our career and all this. And I was like listening to it and like, okay, actually, yeah, I can hear how complex this is and weird instrumentation and mm. just different weird tones and textures in there. It's amazing. It's funny you mentioned that because I was I was talking to my dad recently and it came on in the car on the radio and I could see he was around in the 60s when this stuff was new. And so I asked him what it was like hearing Good Vibrations at that time. And he said he, he loved it the second he heard it because it, it was different from everything else. It was it was weird, but it was digestible weird. You know, it was, yeah. it was acceptable weird, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which unfortunately can't be said of with me tonight. Giggins, you can take the lead on this one. I love this song. It's sweet. It's endearing. It's comforting. It's, it's everything you want in a blanket. You know, it's just a very loving little song. It's it's something you'd sing to your significant other, you know, acapella. It, it's one of those really good little moments for me. So it's one of my favorite songs on the album. I agree. Yeah, really nice, sweet little song. And I think kind of sets the tone maybe for some of the material that's going to come over the next few years. Ooh, on Friends I and parts of 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it kind of stands out a little bit, actually. Is it's not quite as yeah, like surprising or strange. It's a serious it's, it's quite song, a, appealing. <laughs> yeah, it's a little, little bit more easy on the ear, I think. Yeah. Um, Sam, what did you make of it? No, you guys are gonna hate me. I gave it. <laughs> I gave it a three, three letter are you review. It? Um, oh, no, three letter, three letter review. Oh, I thought you of, gave uh, it three out of ten. No, no, that was of, worse than that. No. Of uh, meh. <laughs> that is worse. Meh is worse than three out of ten. <laughs> um, yeah, it didn't. It's, uh, yeah, I'm, I don't know. Maybe I wasn't listening to it right or something because <laughs> I was. It didn't. I've put here literally uh, meh, um, which usually means obviously rather forgettable. I'm, I kind of give or take it. Um, so take it or leave it. Not give or take it. That's something else. That's weird. I don't want to go down that route. <laughs> um that's that's the keeping the uh, beach boys a little bit wrong um 
biography. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, uh, um, yeah, I've got nothing really else to say about it. Maybe I, I missed the boat with that one. No, I might have thought that, to be honest, the first few times I heard this album, it's very easy to gloss over. And again, like a lot, a lot of these, a lot of these songs, and then on like you know parts of Wild Honey and a lot of Friends and bits of Twenty Twenty, they are very subtle. Mm. And it's only like through repeated listening, a song like this, it just, it, I don't know, it becomes like a, well, like Gigan said, it's like a blanket. There's just something like nice and soft and sweet about it. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, definitely not a song that kind of like grabs you first time. Mm. Yeah, that would make sense then. Um, the next track though is a lot more upbeat and possibly the most like in your face of these very strange, unstated tracks. It's... uh Getting hungry. I wake up in the morning just to work all through the day. That sun can get so hot that you can sweat your strength away. And oh, come the night time. Getting Hungry, this was actually released uh, as a single to very little success. Um, do you want to tell us a bit about that, Giggins? Yeah, for some reason, they marketed it as a Mike Love and Brian Wilson duet song, not as the Beach Boys, which is like, you're already having a hard time promoting this album. (laughs) And the Beach Boys names, like they were known, but they weren't like household names. They weren't like, oh, everyone knows who Ringo is. Like, you know, so saying Mike Love, a lot of people were like, who's that? I mean, Caroline No was released as a Brian Wilson solo single first, and that didn't do anything either, so... Yeah, not a smooth move, X-Lax, on their part, but um, (laughs) cool song, groovy little song, not a single. (laughs) (laughs) But it does kind of constitute almost like the rave up of this album. It's got the most kind of like, I don't know, it's like a bit of a bluesy kind of vibe. And obviously it's got that kind of like raunchy lyric. Uh, It makes me think of um, Paul McCartney's like Eat at Home. (laughs) <laughs> right, right, like, right, right. Thematically, yeah. yeah, it's kind of like equating food with sexual desire. <laughs> um, That's the same Sam, thing. Are you, <laughs> you hungry for this track, Sam? I get a bit confused um, between food and sex. It's uh, left me in quite a few awkward uh, situations. Um, <laughs> uh, getting hungry, yeah. Um, at first I was like, this is like a children's TV show music thing. Like, what the hell is this? This is another weird thing. Um, but then, yeah, like second, third time, I was like, I quite like this. I really like the chorus. I like the melody. And I like the fact that it feels more like a gang vocal than like their kind of classic harmony. Um, yeah. And that, I enjoyed that uh, yeah. a lot more. Um, yeah, I should say on Spotify, Wind Chimes is actually the next track, Not Getting Hungry. Um Oh, would I be correct? I've missed it out. (laughs) Could be. It's been a minute. (laughs) I just felt that pressing need to talk about getting hungry, you know. You got hungry for getting hungry. Definitely coming back. Definitely coming back to win (laughs) chance. That was the plan all along. Have you heard heard the version they did 
in the late seventies. They uh, Mike Love's band called Celebration. They did a, a new version of uh, Get Hungry as a as a pop seventies single song. Still oh doesn't work God. that well. I was gonna say, is it good? No, it's all right. I mean, the production is like a, an actual song. Like it sounds like there's production to it, but it's still a little awkward because those verses are shaky, you know. But mm. it's yeah. it's all right. I'd like the Beach Boys one better. Okay. Did it get released? Yeah, it's on. Um, not the almost summer soundtrack. I forget which album it was. It was one of those celebration records that Mike did in the late seventies. He put out like two or three. I think I got I got that quite recently, and I haven't listened to it. So, um, I mean, you're not missing much. Most of it's all right. But <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite moments in the Beach Boys version is when Brian hits that really high note towards yeah. the end. Yeah, hungry for. I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna try it. Thank you. That's all I'm looking for. I live alone. It's all right. I'm not gonna bug anybody. Um. Okay. Wind chimes. I'm sorry. Here we go. Let's hear a bit of this. Hanging down from my window. Those are my wind chimes. Wind chimes. In the late afternoon, you're hung up on See, because Dan, sometimes you trick me with these things. I do. Where it's like, oh, that's, that's just on Spotify. It's not an actual <laughs> track. And then I'm like, oh God, I'm so sorry. I wasn't listening to the... I was listening to the most easily accessible way of, <laughs> of listening And that's the song it. you've done the most uh, research on. Yeah, exactly. I've, I've got, got, got three pages of wind chimes. <laughs> uh, screwed me over this time. Jesus. Um, no, I liked wind chimes. I'll just kind of go for it. Because <laughs> I can see, and I was listening to it going like, I can see someone sampling this like mm. to use in a hip hop or dance track, um, or one of those, you know, cool songs. Um, again, it's quite chill. And I really, this is with the organ as well, isn't it? And I really mm. liked that. I thought it was quite cool using that organ. Um, and this is where I was, uh, I was saying earlier about Safan Stevens. This is where I kind of heard a little bit of that, um, a tiny bit, which I thought was quite interesting. And I like, again, it's kind of that magical. It feels like it gets a little bit like Alice in Wonderland and it gets a bit evil almost. Yeah. Um, and I enjoyed that about it. Um, so yeah, quite like this one. Wow, I wasn't expecting that. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've always thought of this as one of the oddest songs. And I think especially when I was kind of like getting into this and um, Wind Chimes is mentioned as one of the kind of like smile highlights that was really, really um, kind of hyped up at the time. People were excited for. Right. Um, and when I heard this, I just didn't really... I didn't hear a lot in it, to be honest, the first okay. few times. And I was really put off by how sparse that arrangement is and some of these bizarre vocals that are actually quite, I think they're quite harsh. Um, you know, like, wind chimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what? Nailed it. Really, uh, <laughs> yeah. Really, really um, unappealing, actually, sound. But yeah, I, you know, I've come to appreciate it now, but... Um, I still think like the difference between this and what it originally was is probably of all these songs, it to me is the most extraordinary night and day. Hands down that one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, I, I heard this version first before I heard the smile one. And when I heard the smile one, I was like, 
I was absolutely blown away by how different it was, how much joyous it was, and how yeah welcoming and comforting it was. Because this <laughs> version is very. I always get this vision of Carl creeping around a stormy window in someone's house, hanging down from my like tiptoeing through the bushes, like, <laughs> and especially at the end of that like wah, 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 wah sound, and then you get this yeah. joyous moment of like this lilting leaf falling to the earth with these gorgeous harmonies for like thirty seconds, and it's like, who arranged this one? This is this one's all over the map. Um, they completely turn this one inside out from the original Smile one, but I like it because of that. But yeah. I remember the first time a buddy of mine when I was in college playing me the original Smile one, I was like, whoa, it's a whole different animal. It's incredible. I'm almost feeling inclined to uh, have a little listen to it, actually. Um, and let's get Sam to hear it. So here's some Smile era wind chimes. very different i liked it though i liked it a lot it yeah it did feel like i mean it was a lot bigger obviously um, yeah and I, I yeah i enjoyed that actually um yeah i'm not sure which i like better but um yeah it's definitely a bit it's got almost kind of like a big band swing to it yeah mm. yeah for sure but uh yeah people waited like what 40 50 years to hear that to hear the official one yeah yeah mm. yeah yeah Amazing. Um, so next, let's have a look at uh, another smile holdover. It's wonderful. She belongs there, left with her liberty, never known as a non-believer. She laughs and stays in the Higgins, do you want to give us the uh, the lowdown and your take on Wonderful? This is another one for me. You're like Wonderful is one of the best tracks off Smile as well. It's definitely sort of one of those highly regarded songs. And another one that the Smiley Smile version is a little bit on the weirder side for it, where that bulbing organ again just bubble away underneath. But I kind of like Carl's whispering vocals in this one. Mm. It's kind of like really ASMR, if you will, for its time. But... <laughs> Uh yeah no cool song I, I dig it a lot I like the smile one a lot and um but yeah this one again it's got that lo-fi charm that we've come to know and love over the course of this album so <laughs> 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 a 
What about you guys? <laughs> I mean, I'm totally with you. Um, yeah, it's kind of a little bit underwhelming the first few times you hear it, I think, especially if you're expecting, uh, you know, something more akin to that smile version. Yeah. Um, but again, this was the first version I heard. I was like, it's not what they're like, it's not what they're describing in this book. <laughs> um, yeah, I like the unique kind of vibe that Carl creates with the vocal here and on on wind chimes. It's like hushed and gentle, but slightly creepy. Um, I do like creepy things. So <laughs> I think that's a lot of the appeal of this album for me is that like behind that really childish, quaint album cover, there's some quite troubling sounds yeah yeah for sure it's like it's just bubbling under the surface of these like happy melodies um yeah and this is one of those songs and uh, like lyrically as well it's all this stuff about you know about some girl and it's talking about her in the past tense and i don't know kind of like the, the picture i paint in my head is of some it's almost like she's leaving home or something you know by the beatles like something bad has happened to this girl yeah, um, uh, yeah. I, I I definitely hear that too. Mm. Um, Sam. Yeah. Um, I did. I like it. I'm not sure. I liked it's kind of how. Yeah, it's kind of chilled beginning spoken word. As you said that that it just. I remember listening to it going thinking that like, God, this feels like close <clears throat> for like a record in the '60s or whatever. Like if it, it feels like very um, intimate. Yeah, intimate, exactly that. Um, and like, I don't know, like I was just like, oh, it's, it's weird. And then, yeah, that kind of like party sound in the in the second half as well. And people Be-ba-ba-ba. talking. I was like, okay, this is... Yeah, exactly. I was like, what the hell is going on here? So, um, again, it's another weird one, but I was. that's why, like, with a lot of these, I'm like, I don't even know if I like it or not. It was just so weird just such a strange it's <laughs> th- such a strange sequence of things to kind of stick together um yeah which makes sense for makes how sense. putting it together <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so that brings us to the final song on the album one more to go it's whistling let's have a little bit of that to tell me about whistling Diggins I love this song man this is one of my favorites they end the album on such a charming little cliffhanger it doesn't feel like the album's complete for me it feels like you're you're meant to keep going and it started life as a song called all day and all through the night and you get you get a little bit of that in the background in moments you can kind of hear him say the full thing sometimes but I like it. It's a little mo- like a mantra, if you will, or a mantra, however you say it. But it's it's definitely something to to ruminate on. I think it's you know it it, it sort of wraps up the 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 closet feel and recording style of the album. <laughs> Nicely put. I ex- Nicely put. <laughs> All in one minute. Right. Well, one minute, four seconds. <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah. I I what was like. 
Yeah, I mean, I was like, is this a, is this a song? I guess. Um, it reminded <laughs> me a little bit of um, Rugrats, which again is another Devo reference because Mark Mothers yeah. did the music for it. But um, <laughs> it, it reminded me a bit of that. Um, and yeah, it did kind of, yeah, it did kind of weirdly package it up, I guess, quite nicely. But again, it's one of those things where it's like, I would only listen to this as, if I was listening to the album as a whole, basically. Um, personally, anyway. Um, yeah, uh, strange. But then I the think with this song, though, once it's in your head, like it, that's all there is to it, that's all there needs to be. And once it's in there, you just want to keep hearing it and hearing it and hearing it and hearing it because it is so catchy. It's such an earworm, I think. 100%. Um, oh. <laughs> so that is Smiley Smile. Um, do we want to talk about any of the other songs from the sessions? Um, are there any others giggins for you that kind of like stand out as highlights? I mean, my sometimes I get asked what my favorite Beach Boys song is, and one of the few that I I sort of gravitate towards is called "Can't Wait Too Long," which it, oh, I don't know yes. if it's on Spotify or not. I'm sure it is somewhere. It's been a minute since I looked for it, but the version that came with the two for CD. It's just an amazing song. The construction there, the lyrics, the drama, the storytelling, the way it flows. It, I don't think it was ever meant to be finished, but that's kind of what I like about it. And it, Brian sings most of it. It's just a really fun track that has a lot of heart and warmth to it and longing. And I'm a sucker for that kind of feel. But yeah, that's probably one of my favorite tracks of all time by them, but particularly that era. Yeah. That's an amazing song. Um, I actually, I actually did my own Danji edit. I took some uh, some sections from various uh, versions that have been released and kind of put no together way. my own my own personal favorite. I would love to hear that. Cool. I mean, it's uh, it's just sitting on my hard drive. I'll uh, I'll send it over. That's <laughs> oh, so rad. Yeah, I would love to hear that. Um, for me, it's the the B side to uh, Heroes and Villains which is your welcome. Oh, good choice. Very much again in the same kind of uh, vein as whistling. It's just a nice little kind of vocal chant. Um, this one maybe a little more mm, lullaby like just a pretty little kind of twinkling shimmering song that grows um, and grows and gets louder and louder as it goes. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> really nice little one that, um, so basically, after this, the guys quite quickly obviously like found their groove because this came out in September. By December, they got another album being released, which was Wild Honey, um, another great album. Um, but what kind of was going on around this time, like thinking about the legacy of this record, like how it was received, what they then went on to do, um, it's a shame. It feels like, yeah, you know, everyone's saying Brian Wilson's done. Um, and Smiley Smile, actually, it has the production credit to the Beach Boys, doesn't it? It does. It was um, the first one. But clearly, you know, this is Brian. Brian's doing his thing here. Oh, yeah. Um, and a lot of people, yeah, I think they just think he's, he's out of the picture. But at this point, it's like he's got a second wind again, in my opinion. It's like, I've moved on from that smile stuff. I've drawn a line under it. Maybe I'll come back to that at some point. Now I'm ready for more Baldwin organ action. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, no, what can I do with this Baldwin organ? Completely true, man. I mean, between that one and Wild Honey and Friends, Brian was there a thousand percent, you know? And a lot of people don't realize that, is that Brian was really productive, even though he wasn't in the studio maybe a hundred percent of the time. Whenever he did give input, it was really essential input. It was well before the other guys were doing the, the show without him. So, yeah. yeah. One of the things around this time that I think is really cool is this um, set of shows that they do in Honolulu in Hawaii. Yeah. Um, so the idea here was to do, again, it's like, can we do a quick album? Um, we're going to do a live, live album, um, but we're going to arrange the songs in this new smiley smile kind of fashion. Ugh. <laughs> so like, again, like Sam, can you imagine you're a Beach Boys fan in Hawaii? And I don't know how often they played Hawaii, but I'm guessing much. they they hadn't been there probably for a while. Mm. So they're all clamoring for, you know, the boys, the surf and hot rod Beach Boys, yeah. right? And um, they turn up, and Brian Brian hasn't been playing with the band uh, at this point since 1964. I mean, okay. yeah, mostly 64. Yeah, um, but he comes and attends these shows. But he brings his Baldwin organ. He's going to play that damn thing on stage. <laughs> How big was it? Um, Heavy. <laughs> yeah. okay. There's some cool photos of them uh, on stage, like during the um, like rehearsals and things. Yeah. And um, Bruce doesn't make the trip, does he? I think he's, he was just no, like... he missed that Things one. were too weird at this point, And it just seemed like a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a shame because it would have been one of the earliest appearances of the six beach boys on stage, which didn't happen yeah. until the sunflower era years later. But that album, which was going to have the title, I think this is one of the best titles of all time. Laid in Hawaii. Classic. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Absolutely classic. That's why it didn't come out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Classic Beach Boys move, it doesn't get released. Um, <laughs> but it's just weird hearing all the old songs in this Smiley Smile arrangement. So yeah, if, you, you know, if you've listened to Smiley Smile and you're into it, um, highly recommend you check out Laid in Hawaii. And of course, it's kind of, um, it was mastered, wasn't it? And prepared, ready to be released as an album. And that is what is on the um, Sunshine Tomorrow reissue that came out a few years ago. Um, one of the more surprising tracks on there I heard was um, they do a version of Surfing. Yeah. And the arrangement on there, I was like, oh my God, this is, uh, this is Do It Again. Yeah. It's really similar. Yeah. That was a real like, epiphany, eye-opener kind of moment. Yeah. I, 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 that had to have been the inspiration for creating the song a couple months later. But yeah, totally. I do love the version um, of uh, Surfer Girl from that era. It's a, it's a lot more of a sadder, the way they end the song is a bit sad. It's just got this like lullaby-ish ending to it. And I love the way they do that. It's so cool when bands just like, yeah, reinterpret their old material in like their current sound. Oh yeah. Always endlessly fascinating. Some mm. of the songs do not work. <laughs> California Girls for me has always been like a total snoozer. Like, it's, it's bizarre <laughs> and interesting to listen to, but like if I was at the concert, I would be like, what the hell are they smoking? Can someone wake them up, please? <laughs> oh my God. Historically I think, fascinating, uh, but yeah. <laughs> that's probably why it didn't come out right. They got it back and just went, we can't release this. Or yeah. somebody was like, you can't release this. Right. <laughs> uh, um, anyway, 
like we said, um, wasn't very popular at the time. But I don't know. How do you think people feel about this album these days? I mean, these days it's really highly regarded as something that if you're a Beach Boys fan, you're you're going to hear this record, and it's going to be either loved or hated. I, I've I've never met someone who's been middle of the road with it, and mm. for a lot of people, it's the turning point. It's the band becoming the band again, where they weren't just playing vocals to the Wrecking Crew. So yeah, if for a lot of people, it's it's that turning point where it's it shows the Beach Boys becoming what they would do for the next eight years and basically reinvent themselves completely over and over again, out my album. So is it essential? I don't know. I'm weird on essential, but definitely something you should listen to if you're a beach boys fan. So I think it's more respected now than it was in 1967. Nice. And do you think uh, thinking about, yeah, what was around at that time and what came after I mean, we mentioned a few albums there, but do you think it influenced the scene at the time? I think the people who were songwriters were influenced. I know Pete Townsend loved it. And he wrote a couple of songs that were inspired by that album. I can't remember what they were now. Um, I can't remember. But I know it was popular in uh, drug rehab clinics. Mike has gone on to say that it used to help people come off trips. That they were on like a bad trip, it would help them calm down. So that's good. But yeah, I mean, if you were in the industry, you loved it. Like the people who loved Pet Sounds, the the songwriters loved other songwriters and stuff. But if you were the general record buying public and you were, you know, a 14 year old kid who loved Help Me Rhonda, you're not going to buy vegetables. It's, (laughs) and it's not going to happen. But uh, yeah. So, uh, Giggins has said that, you know, you can't have a middle-of-the-road opinion on this album. Sam, what's your final take? (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was interesting. Um, Again, like, I'm not, like, really familiar with Beach Boys stuff, um, but it was an intriguing listen and just kind of, um, it kind of, yeah, as I said, it kind of gave it everything else, like, a bit more context, I guess. Um, I think, yeah, if I'm looking for, like, a like a lo-fi, but, but like slightly different, maybe stranger sound or whatever, I might return to it. I don't think it's going to automatically make my, you know, rotate regular rotation list. Um, but yeah, I can see how, given, you know, the history of it and, you know, what you guys have said, how it was uh, quite a thing for, for to come out in the, in the first place as well. Um yeah, I don't know. I think it's like a nice little oddity, which I guess makes it quite, you know, apt for Oddcast um, in that sense. Uh, yeah. Do I like it? I thought it was, I thought it was all right. Yeah. Um, Has it made you curious to hear any more of this huge amount of material that's uh, under the waterline? Yeah. I mean, I've always kind of been curious anyway um, as to, I've just never really delved into like the Beach Boys stuff. I guess um, as much as maybe I should have, or as much as I know that you would uh, you would want me to. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, like the more I hear um, of Beach Boys, the more intrigued I get, and the more I move away from like you know, I just surf in USA and that's it or whatever. Um, yeah. Cool. So I mean, that is really the final word on Smiley Smile. Um, however. There's a little section of the show that we like to do, a place we like to go. And that place 
is Nerds Corner. So in Nerds Corner, we take a look at a specific issue of an album. So, you know, again, Beach Boys uh, fans can be very particular. And, and there's a lot of audio files, I think, in the Beach Boys community. Um, I'm not that big a, yeah, I'm not that big an audio file. I'm more of like a nerd collector. So I kind of like to have different pressings and things. Yeah. Um, but I'm not like a huge, like, mono stereo. I don't like get too bogged down in, in all of that. Um, but, well, I wondered if you had an opinion on it, Giggins. Do you have a favorite version of Smiley Smile? My favorite one recently is the 2016 Analog Productions reissue. Oh, I was hoping you'd talk about this because I've heard a lot of uh, stuff about this online. But uh, yeah, I've never heard it. So yeah, what's the what's the deal with that? It's really well mastered and really well put together because... You know, a thing that a lot of albums don't have anymore are dynamics. And so there's quiet moments and loud moments and moments that really pop and moments that really beg for your ears to listen. And this album is loaded with that. And so when you have an album that's really well mixed and well balanced and the record pressing itself is super clean, it just puts you into that world so much more, uh, just more immersed in that sound. I have a bunch of original copies of it. I've got it on CD and et cetera, et cetera. And I love all those. But all my records are just, you know, 50 odd years old. They've been played a million times. So like to hear it really crystal clear and clean and get that bass response and hear all the top band be nice and smooth. Um, it's an experience, let alone the packaging. It's just top notch. I mean, it's a really well done, heavy cardboard, you know, tip on sleeve, as they call it, um, you know, glossy cover. The whole it's, it's a, something that you would treasure forever. And I don't buy those things too often because they're bloody expensive. But you get your money's worth for them. I've got two now. I've got Holland as well. But yeah, oh, that's nice. my probably my favorite one beyond the, the CD that I got in high school for nostalgia reasons. But the um, yeah, that that analog pressings one highly recommend. So analog pressings, if you're listening, send us all free stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I was about to say it's going on my uh, want list, but um, yeah, I'll just hold out for a free copy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What about um, you? I've, I mean, I was just going to bail out and say the two for CD. Yeah. Just I don't because blame that you. to me is so iconic. And that is the first time I heard it. So, Sam, this is like in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, Capital basically like reissued all the Beach Boys back catalog, uh, two albums per disc right. with a load of bonus tracks. And some of those bonus tracks haven't been released elsewhere since they're right. exclusive to those those yeah. discs which is pretty cool um so i think they've been like reissued again and again um so mine are like kind of like 2000 early 2000 versions but yeah that's when i first got into the beach boys you, you could buy those for like five pounds a pop so okay. i just went boof and bought like the whole <laughs> catalog <Wow>. on cd <laughs> um so yeah that will forever hold place in my heart i have got some nice um like vinyl pressings but a bit like you giggins like they sound a bit a bit bad um, yeah i'm not talking about the mix like they're a bit worn and they don't sound great yeah so, i do have as much a side like to say like my my very rare german duophonic pressing or something like that. it's <laughs> right. like i can't sit there and pretend that it sounds good <laughs> no that's the thing and a lot of people you know sort of i don't know 
I have a thing with audiophiles, but it's, um, you know, whatever sounds good to you is all that matters. There's no rule or structure to any of this crap, but, um, I do have an EMI pressing of, uh, smiley smile. It was you know, the British, uh, version of it, which I found oh, in a cool. shop over here. And it was really cool because it was the only one I've ever seen. So I had to grab it, but it's nice to get the shinier cover and everything. And, uh, the nice capital label of the time. So I love yeah. that. But, um, yeah, I've probably got, I don't know, four at this point of vinyl copies of it. We should mention this was one of the ones that was um, mixed in mono, right? Oh, yeah, um, definitely. So it's probably best always to go with whatever the first kind of like, you know, the intention of the album is my, my kind of like rule of thumb. Yeah. So definitely for this one, it's better to go with the mono because the stereo is just an artificial construct basically right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah duophonic right exactly yeah yeah duophonic jesus <laughs> um i actually i was thinking of like it'd be quite an interesting little um niche to carve out to just like go around collecting duophonic mixes of all the beach boys albums that everyone looks down on so much <laughs> it'd probably be cheaper to get a hold of i've got like oh yeah beach boys today and duo. summer days i think on duophonic they sound okay yeah. you know it's nothing to write home about but it sounds okay you know, it's just to, to to please the person who bought two speakers instead of one. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, I mean, that's really everything for our discussion today. Um, obviously, thanks so much, Giggins, for joining us. It's been really, really cool. Um, wouldn't have been able to get this th- through this, obviously, With me. without you. With, with Sam, <laughs> Sam dragging things down. Exactly. Negativity. Yeah. I'm honored to be on, on the podcast, finally. I've, I've listened to you guys for a while, so I'm, I'm a big fan to finally be on. So thank you so much. been a blast. Thanks, man. Um, and if people, you know, like I said, I've been following your YouTube channel for like two years or something. Um, obviously, checking out all the Beach Boys stuff, but... Loads of other like 60s and 70s. And, and actually, you like some kind of like more modern stuff like of Montreal. I think we both yeah. are fans. Yeah, I do new stuff too. Um, I'm going to do a little bit more new stuff at the end of the year, I think. But yeah, I don't do it too much. I want to do it more, but I know my audience is mostly based in the 60s, which is fine. You know, nothing wrong with that. But but yeah, I love talking about Montreal. I could do that all day. There's some good like psychedelic throwback bands around at the moment though that like yeah listeners from the '60s might be interested in uh, kind of checking out. Oh yeah, like King Gizzard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, what else you got going on with your channel? Obviously, you mentioned there's going to be like Greater Beach Boys focus. I also saw uh, you've just set up a Patreon. Yeah, I just started the Patreon account where I can do where I can you know play music like you guys are doing because I can't do it on YouTube. You get kicked off, but. Um, I brought back two shows that I did in college. One's called The Gigging Show, and I had a radio show in college. So one was called The Gigging Show. One was called Tune In, Drop Out, which is all 60s psychedelic stuff. And um, cool. yeah, it's live now at patreon.com slash gigans. And there's two different tiers. You can get pictures and covers that I do and videos and skits and all kinds of wacky, fun stuff. So it's I'm really excited to go down the rabbit hole of showing everyone what I what I do off of YouTube um, things that I make for myself that I can't put anywhere else because I use actual music. So I'm really excited about it. So, yeah. Cause I've seen some awesome mixtapes actually that you've posted like on your Instagram account. Oh yeah. It'd be really cool to be able to actually hear those. Like, oh You post man. the artwork and you're like, made this, but can't hear it. <laughs> yeah, I, well, that's <laughs> yeah. I posted a mixtape a couple of years ago of a Beach Boys thing that I made 
And the album cover looks strikingly similar to the new Feel Flows box set coming out. <gasps> Very. I, I don't know if the person follows my <laughs> account or not, but I'm I'm flattered. But because um, their original concept was a bit different, and they changed it to put Mike on top of Brian wearing his good humor hat, all the drawings that I did. So I was like, I don't know if you saw it and got inspiration, but um, I don't know. It's all it's all on my Instagram at Giggins with an underscore after it. So you be the judge. <laughs> and i saw you doing some music as well like some recording yeah i'm gonna put out an ep at the end of the year uh i've been slowly working on that it, it's gonna be an acoustic kind of thing so i live in an apartment so i can't just go around playing the drums but and i'm absolute <laughs> crap at electronic drums I've, I've got a little pad thing and i can't for the life of me structure things on my program i'm terrible at it i'm very old school i just want to jam with people and someone hit record and i'll just do the work you know like that's that's the easy part so but yeah i'm gonna put out an album at the end of the year either under my band's name or under my name i'm not sure yet so see what happens and is that like a smiley smiley lo-fi recording set like oh it's definitely gonna be lo-fi only because i can't produce (laughs) (laughs) i just figured out compression a few months ago (laughs) 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 to people who don't record that's a very funny joke (laughs) But, I noticed yeah. as well, you made a little, you, you slipped a little Beach Boys reference in there that you didn't even notice. Little pad. You can't even help yourself. Giggins. I can't help myself, man. Subconscious <laughs> at this point. I got my Brian Wilson pillow I sleep with at night. <laughs> I have a picture of Dennis Wilson with a beard yeah. that I pray to. Yeah, the whole thing is just all Beach Boys. Yep. <laughs> Join the cult. Right. Oh, man. But uh, I'm excited to hear what music you come up with. Like, yeah, knowing kind of the stuff that you like. It'd be... I don't know. I mean, I've, I've got a preconception of what it could be like. And uh, yeah. It's all Tiny Looking Tim Covers. Looking forward to being surprised. It's all Tiny Tim Covers. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you some stuff. I've got things recorded. So I'll, I'll give you, I'll send some to you and see what you think. We have to get some awesome. feedback. Yeah, totally. Yes, do it. Well, Giggins, thank you very much. Like I said, joining us. That's been awesome. Sam, I hope you enjoyed the, uh, the Odyssey. <laughs> of, 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 of going I, from ignorance to being a world winning Beach Boys fan. Yeah. <laughs> Expect world to see winning. you at the next next Beach Boys and Brian Wilson concerts. Right. Yeah. I'll be there. <laughs> saying, going, meh. No, um, no, that's good. It's fun. <laughs> and it was good to kind of, yeah, listen to you guys, um, you know, discuss it all as well. Because as I said, you know, I didn't even know about any of this stuff. So yeah, it's been actually uh, very informative and educational bit of uh, music education there as well, which uh, yeah, I've thoroughly enjoyed. Um, so yeah, thanks. And yeah, thanks Giggins for joining us on that today. Thanks for having me on. This was awesome, man. So odd squad. Thanks for listening. And uh, yeah, join us again in a week's time for more oddcast. until then. Keep it weird. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Hey guys, thank you for listening to Oddcast Movies, Music and Gaming. If you want to get in touch with us or get a movie, album or game put on our list to discuss, then email us at oddcastoddballs at gmail.com or a new winter podcast at gmail.com. This is part of a new winter podcast network, so head on over to a newwinter.net to check out our other shows. 
You can also follow us on Instagram at A New Winter, Twitter at A New Winter, and you can head on over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash A New Winter. Thanks for listening and see you again soon. Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out at the French Open for a chance to win a Grand Slam title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. See the action unfold as legends fight for glory and new rivalries emerge. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th, with match replays on demand so you never miss a moment. From the first serve to the final point, Roland Garros promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.